Welcome to the Christian Life Austin Podcast. Today we continue Man Month. This is the time that we celebrate our fathers and we learn what it takes to be a father according to the Word of God. With today's sermon entitled Great Dads 2015, here is lead pastor Rex Johnson. Why, you women may be asking. Because phone conversations are over in 30 seconds flat. A five-day holiday requires only one suitcase. When clicking through the channels on your TV, you don't have to stall every shot of somebody crying. You can pass it on. And guys in hockey masks, speaking of, my grandsons and I watched the hockey game last night, don't attack you unless you're playing hockey. And George Clooney doesn't live in our universe. And car mechanics tell you the truth. And you can admire Clint Eastwood without starving yourself to look like him. And gray hairs and wrinkles add character to men. And if another guy shows up at a party in the same outfit that you have, you just might become lifelong buddies. And belches are sometimes expected. They don't scare people. That's why it's good to be a man. Experts say that Father's Day, which is next Sunday, gives America the most collect calls it ever has in the year. But that's good for what goes around comes around. All of us dads that are dads now and granddads call collect when we were kids. Now we receive them. And someday when we get old enough, we'll be making them again from an old folks home somewhere. In fact, I wrote my youngest daughter. She went into a new business venture. I wrote my youngest daughter and I said, when I retire, I'm going to come and live with you so make a whole lot of money. She wrote back and said, ha, ha. That's all the answer I got. <laughs> Fathers sometimes get a bad rap. Mark Twain said, when I was a boy of 14, my dad was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. That's what he called him. But when I got 21, seven years later, I was astonished to see how much he had learned in those seven years. One comedian wrote it this way, said, now that my father is a grandfather, he just can't wait to give money to his grandkids. But when I was a kid, I asked him for 50 cents, and he would tell me the story of his life, how he got up at 5 o'clock in the morning when he was seven years old, walked 23 miles to milk 90 cows, and the farmer for whom he had worked had no bucket, so he had to squirt the milk in his little hands, then walk eight miles to the nearest can to pour it out, all for five cents. And he said the result was I never got that 50 cents. But now he tells my children every time he comes to my house, let me see how much money old granddad has for his wonderful grandkids. And the minute they take the money out of his hands, I call them over to me and snatch it away from them because that's my money. That's cute. Jewish tradition insists that fatherhood is not necessarily biological. The one that raises a child is considered the true parent. Thank God for people who have adopted, people who have done things to make kids have a happy and a glorious home, who have fostered and adopted. Teachers are like fathers, so much so that their honor takes precedent especially in those situations where the father is only a biological relationship. 
And it's the teacher who provides what father should provide. I'm so happy that your kids love this pastor, but I'm happier if you have a happy home and they love you, Dad, and they love you, Mom. That gives me the greatest joy in my life. There's five things that every child needs. They need guidance. They need values. They need discipline. They need direction. And they need love. They need guidance. They need values. They need discipline. They need direction. They need love. In the first century... Families were presided over by fathers who could do whatever they pleased in their home. And Rome had this law called patriopotestus, which means the father's power. And men who were Roman citizens were given absolute rights over their families. By law, the children and the wife were regarded as the patriarch's personal property. And he could do with them whatever he wished. A displeased father could disown his kids, sell them into slavery, or even kill them if he wished. When a child was born into a Roman family, the baby was placed between the father's feet. And if the father stooped down and picked up the baby, the baby got to come home. If he turned and walked away, the child was either left to die or sold at an auction. Seneca, a contemporary of the Apostle Paul, described Roman policy with regard to unwanted animals. He said, we slaughter fierce ox. We strangle the mad dog. We plunge the knife into a sick cow. But children born that are weak or deformed are drowned. Things are not much better today. Let me talk to you. Millions of unwanted babies are aborted every year. Somebody give me a witness. Children have become dispensable, disposable commodities in our society just as they were in Rome. But the Bible calls Christian fathers to a different standard. Our kids are not property to own, but they're image bearers of the Almighty God. And they need to be trained. Dads were called to be providers and provide a proper nurturing environment where our kids can grow up and love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's countercultural in the first century and it's countercultural even now. But in the New Testament, it challenges us to see the word father as a verb, not just a noun, not just a position, but as a man that takes precedent in his home and allows his kids to know that they are loved by a father. Clap your hands to the word of the Lord today. It's biologically easy to become a father, but it's biblically challenging to actually be a father to our children. The Bible very clearly challenges dads to be the spiritual leader in their homes because the ultimate responsibility, folks, for what a family becomes belongs to, hear me, the father. The primary part of the responsibility is striking a balance between, you ready for this, love and discipline. Between love and discipline. How many of you love your kids? Come on, raise your hand all over the house, moms and dads. You love your kids? How many of you drive you crazy already in the summer? You're going to the Congress Avenue Bridge and thinking about it. Come on. I'm teasing. But if you love them, you'll discipline them. Say amen. amen. Hebrews 12 says, let God train you, for he's doing what any loving father does for his children. Whoever heard of a son who was never corrected? If you love your child, you'll correct your child. Your child needs to hear the word no every now and then. 
First Thessalonians 2 said, As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. Paul said, I talk to the church as a dad should talk to his kids. Ephesians 6 says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down too hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them the way of the master. I love that. Colossians chapter 3 says, Fathers, don't scold your children so much that they become discouraged and quit trying you got to break their will sometime, but you never break their spirit. You hear me when I tell you a child has got to have something in them that drives them. And you've got to help shape that will to the mind and the will of Almighty God. And to be able to do that, Dad, you've got to know and understand the mind and the will of God. But to you, to you, Dad, those kids look at you and you are the nearest thing to God. And Mama is the greatest thing on earth. But we need moms and dads. And to every single parent in this house, to every woman that's raising children by yourself, and to every dad that brings your kids to church every Sunday by yourself, I applaud you today. Because I promise you, God will let you be the mother part that you need to be, Dad. And God will let you be the dad part that you need to be, Mom. And this church will stand here with you and be all that we can be because you're in a safe house and a house that loves your Children, clap your hands and say amen for that. Writing to the Corinthians, Paul compares his role as an apostle to a role filled by a father. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 in the King James Version. This is what he says. He said, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet ye have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I've begotten you through the gospel. But I love what the message says better. Same scripture. There's a lot of people around who can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong. But there aren't many fathers willing to take the time and effort to help you grow up. This message today is not to down fathers and put fathers down. This message today is to lift you with a rising tide that lifts all the boats. To let you know that your responsibility is so massive and such a great magnitude and such awesome, awesome energy has to be expended because you don't have many years, Dad. You don't have many years to shape their lives and to shape their hearts and to shape their spirits. But I'm here to declare to you today that God's given you enough time. He's given you enough time if you'll just take the time to be the father and the dad that you need to be to your children and the husband that you need to be to your wife. Clap your hands and rejoice in that. Life marriages. Life marriages provide the foundation for social order. Everything of value rests on those underpinnings of a marriage that is solid. Historically, when the family begins to unravel in any culture, everything else is adversely affected. At last count, 50% of the babies, and now it's even more than that, in North America were born out of wedlock. Stay with me now. Most of them will never know their fathers or a father's love. Only one-third of kids born in North America will live with both biological parents through the age of 18. How does that affect us? 85% of kids with behavior disorder, fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts, fatherless homes. 70% of teen pregnancies, fatherless homes. 80% of rapists, fatherless homes. 75% of teen patients and drug abuse centers, fatherless homes. 
70% of juvenile and correctional institutes fatherless homes. 85% of youth in prison are from fatherless homes. 65% of youth suicides fatherless homes. Don't, don't jump off the cliff on me yet. Forty years ago, we believed that poverty and racial discrimination were primarily responsible for juvenile crime and behavioral problems. Now, nearly all of the evidence points to family breakup is the real culprit and predicts a societal catastrophe if we don't turn this trend around. I know that my voice may not be heard around the world today. I know that this voice may not be heard past the walls of this church, even with our podcast, but I will declare to you, if God ever gives me the opportunity and the chance to speak about family on a public forum, I will stand as strong as I'm standing today and say, God, save the families of America. God, save the fatherhood of America. God, save the mothers of America. The future of America is the strength of families and the strength of home in our lives. You need to look at somebody that you're real close to and say, I'm proud that I'm at church with you today. How can you buck the trend, Dad, by committing your life totally to Jesus Christ? And I'm not going to give an altar call for that. Today I'm dedicating babies today. We're going to dedicate children. But we've got to give our hearts to Jesus Christ. The only way to raise Christian kids is to be a Christian ourselves. Christian fathers don't lie. They don't steal. They don't lust. They don't covet. Christian fathers don't serve the God of money. Stay with me now. Christian fathers don't sire and then abandon their children. Amen? Christian fathers don't cheat on their wives. Christian fathers don't send their kids to church. They take them to church. Christian fathers have real relationship with God. And the greatest need of the hour in America is united homes where Jesus Christ is still exalted as King of kings and Lord of lords in our life. Come on, clap your hands real big. I may be given a state of the union today, but I feel the Holy Ghost in my life. Elisha cries out to the departed Elijah in 2 Kings 2 when he declares, my father, my father. That wasn't his father. That wasn't his biological father, but it was his mentor. It was a man that taught him so much in 10 years that he followed him as Elijah was taken from him. And though he saw him no more, Elijah left a legacy behind, a mantle, a mantle, a walk with God, a double portion of his spirit that would propel Elisha into a ministry that would be doubly affected of that of Elijah. My question today is what kind of mantle, what kind of character, Dad, are you passing on to your children? What kind of walk, what kind of commitment, Dad, do you have with God? And what kind of spirit, what kind of attitude is being left behind to the kids that you are raising? Every dad needs character. Every dad needs commitment. Every dad needs an attitude. I know I preach a great deal about generational curses, how to get past them, how to overcome their weight. However, let me this morning speak from the other side of that situation. Hey, Dad, why not pass blessings on to your kids? Why you have to just pass curses all the time? Why do kids have to overcome the dad thing in their life? Why don't you stand and be the man that God wants you to be in this hour and pass something on to them that will bless them and not curse them? Mm. Why not pass blessings that 
when the enemy comes, the enemy comes out against your children one way, the Lord will defeat the enemy seven ways. And Brad didn't put it up on my slide, but in my notes I put hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah. There's a generational curse. Dad, you break it for your family's sake. There's a beautiful story in Hebrews chapter 7 I want to talk about just a little bit today. Describes Abraham paying tithes to Melchizedek, who was the high priest. Now, Melchizedek, the Bible said, had no beginning. He had no ending. He had no start. He had no finish. Many people believe he was a theophany, a representation of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the mighty God in the Old Testament. Whatever you believe, that's your privilege. But Abraham saw such greatness in him. The Bible said, even though there was no descent, there was nothing that he could rest on that that man would do for him. He still tithed to him in 6, chapter 6, uh, verse 6 of chapter 7. Because Abraham's love for the right things, God blessed, now watch this, God blessed Levi. Because Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob, and Jacob had a son named Levi. So a great-grandson was blessed because when Abraham paid tithes, he was still in the loins of Abraham. And because Abraham did the right thing great-grandfather ago, that boy was blessed by the things that his great-grandfather did before. Let me talk to you, single man. Let me talk to you, unmarried man. Let me talk to you. The things that you do right now in your life, God is putting those things in your reproductive factories right now. The good things that you do by blessing the church, by giving God honor, by understanding the way of righteousness in your life. When you and your wife get married someday, you're going to produce kids. That's going to produce kids. That's going to produce kids that will still be doing great things for the kingdom of God. Because that's what happens when you fall in love and you start following Jesus Christ. Come on, Dad. It's time for us to start producing some things that will produce winners in our children, in our lives. Can you say amen to that? I love it. I love it. I love it. Paul is saying, if you honor the high priest, Jesus Christ, in your life, Dad, there will be a blessing on your kids for generation to come. That's how you reverse the generation curse. Paul is saying this new high priest is made, verse 16, not after the law of carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. In essence, he said, you raise kids that are blessed when you bless the high priest in your life, Jesus Christ. Let's stop right now. David said seven times a day will I praise the Lord. Let's stop right now. Let's start giving God some praise right now because we're talking about some beautiful stuff. Come on. Praise him right now all over the house. Clap your hands and say thank you, Pastor, for preaching to us today. Thank you for giving us the word of the Lord today. Come on. Come on. Raise your hands right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We want to be righteous men. We want to be righteous fathers. We want to be good people in the house of God. I close with this today. This is my close. It's amazing. I've been away a long time. You thought I'd preach four sermons. But I close today with this. One of the greatest stories in the Old Testament is the story of Joseph. What a great young man. Amen. What a mature man. 
And what a tremendous old man. His life was one fantastic adventure. He was a dreamer. He had a lot of dreams. He was a man who loved the Lord. He said no to the sin at Potiphar's house when there wasn't even a commandment yet that had number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. He said no because he said the Lord forbid me to step there. He said no. Had the spirit of the Lord on him even in prison, the Bible said God was with him. Because the leader of Egypt became the leader of Egypt's agriculture after 22 years of seemingly famine in his own life. It was his bones that traveled with Israel when, he deli- when deliverance came. It was his dead bones that spoke louder than voices that were still living. And Israel never lost all hope because of a man named Joseph. So what produced such a valiant man? Why was he different than all of his brothers? Was it the fact that Reuben and Simeon and Dan and Naphtali and Gad and Asher and Issachar and Zebulun all had different moms than Joseph? That's true. They were. And yet it was not the difference. What made these boys instruments of cruelty? What made those other ten men that wanted to put Joseph in a pit because of his dreams? What made those ten want to sell him out because of his position? What made those ten want to lie to their father about him even though God had kept him from death and he wasn't dead? Did they not have the same father that he had? And in my study and prayer, I noticed that they did not have the same father. And that is the answer. Bible scholars are already questioning me right now. But they did not have the same dad Some here would argue with me today saying I am mixed up in my Bible interpretations. However, all the other sons, all ten of them were born in Genesis 29 and 30. Yet they were born under the influence of a man who worked for Laban, who was goal-oriented, who wanted promotion from man. He was Jacob, the supplanter, the cheater. Joseph was also born in chapter 30, but in chapter 37 it says he was his father's son of his old age. Ten sons were born to Jacob in 29 and 30. But something happened to Jacob after the birth of Joseph. He sought to leave man and go on this quest for God. And in chapter 32, when Joseph was just a little bitty boy, Jacob crossed a brook and met an angel at dusk in chapter 32 at a place called Peniel. And Jacob's name, who means beguiler and deceiver and cheater and supplanter, had an encounter with Almighty God in chapter 32. And after wrestling with that angel all night, his walk was altered. He never would walk the same again. And finally the angel asked him to let him go because the day was breaking. And Jacob said, I'll not let you go until you bless me. That's when the angel asked the question of the ages, what is your name? Jacob said, I am Jacob. 
And the angel said, I know. But henceforth your name shall no longer be called Jacob. But your name's going to be called Israel. Because you're no more a supplanter. You're no more a cheater. You've left the beguiling world. You've left the fake mindset. Now you're a prince. And you have power with God. And with man. And you have prevailed. And Joseph never saw a Jacob. He was not raised by Jacob. He was raised by Israel. He was raised by a man with a limp. The other boys had been molded by Jacob the manquester. And this is my story today. We need men that will get a hold of God for themselves and not walk out of that closet of prayer until God changes the man quest to a God quest. Until you walk out of that garden of prayer and you understand, I can't do this by myself. I need God. I need God. Let me tell you something. Men that bow their knee to Almighty God are not weak men. They're the strongest men in the whole world. I don't care if you're 6'10 and weigh 300 pounds. I don't care if you're 5'5 and play second base for the Houston Astros. It don't matter how big or how small you are. The greatest men in all the world know how to get down on their knee and say, God... I can't do this by myself. One of the greatest things that ever happened to me in my life, and I honor my dad today. We're having a special guest minister next week. So I want to talk about dads today, and I'll talk about men the last Sunday of the month also. Thank you, Brad, for building us an ark last week. Thank you for that, son. But I want to talk today just a little bit about my dad. My dad was six four and a half, and he weighed two hundred and fifty pounds in his play days. He was a massive man, not fat, lean, mean, fighting machine, hostile, mobile, and agile. One of his best buddies was Coach Daryl Royal, and one of the reasons I got to be close, so close friends to Daryl Royal was not a football thing, but it was a family thing. He loved my dad. He told me my dad was a man that had the best fastball in all of western Oklahoma one day. I said, yeah. It's amazing he didn't give me that arm. I didn't get that arm. He said, your dad was a great basketball player. He said, he played, he played the middle. He played center. He said, he could, could beat a lot of men on that center position. He said, he got every rebound. Your dad was a go-getter, son. He said, but the greatest thing you did, he boxed. He said, your dad was a great fighter. And said, he could hurt people when, when he boxed them. He said, we had boxing back in our school, and your dad was district champ of boxing. He was best. And that made me feel so good about my dad. Because <laughs> dad never talked about those things. 
I guess the guys that could really do it don't talk about it and the guys that want to talk about it all the time. Like the old song said, I'm not good as I once was, but I'm good once as I ever was. You know? And the older you get, the better you were. But I'll never forget the day that my whole attitude changed about my daddy. My older brother had some, had some personal problems in his life and his son is in, on this staff now, but my older brother had some personal problems and mom was always a prayer person. Mom always prayed. And mama's prayer sometimes drove us crazy because mama always cried when she prayed. And she made us feel about this tall when we walked in. She said, where have you been? She'd grab me by the lapels, where have you been? Mama, I've been drinking Coca-Cola with some friends at the Dairy Queen. You sure? Let me smell your breath. Never drank in my life, but she had to smell my breath. But Dad was just a good man. But one day I walked in the house and I, back in the washroom I heard something. And I went back there, it sounded like somebody was was kind of hurting. Somebody had hurt themselves or something. I went back there and I peeked in the door and my dad was on it on his knees. Had his hands on the on the washing machine. And he was saying, God, you gave me two wonderful sons. And God, if it's my problem that my oldest son is having these problems, change me. I couldn't take any more. That's all I could take. And he said, Lord, don't let my youngest son run into these issues. God, I'll sacrifice. I'll do anything, anything you need. I shut the door and I went to my room and I wept and cried. And I said that day, I will never hurt my dad. Because my dad got up from that prayer meeting. He wasn't the six, four and a half, 250 pound man anymore. He was a man that kind of walked with a limp now. He had power with God. He didn't walk the same way. His whole attitude became one of, boys, I'm here to help you. We're going to win this thing together. And he got on Ed's good side. And Ed started turning his life around. My brother started turning his life around. And later became married to a beautiful girl. And they had a wonderful relationship. But there was a day when I heard my daddy have that wrestling match with God. And I knew he'd never be the same again. And he walked with a limp. That's how I made it in high school. I was, I was from a little old bitty church in West Texas and nobody thought like I did in that church. Spirit-filled living wasn't a big word back in that day. In fact, they looked at you like, what? But my dad, my dad came up one day and defended me on something. And he was my hero. Because my dad was a man that had this little limp in his life. Not physically, but spiritually. He had met the Lord in his own world. And that meeting of God changed my life. And here I am preaching the gospel today because of a dad that I knew had a touch from God in his life. Dad, I know you're buried in Marlowe and it's a little old bitty place up there and I honor you today, Dad. I honor you. I love you, Father. Thank you for 
Thank you for loving my mama for 64 years and thank you for loving me and Eddie. Thank you for loving us, Dad. Thank you for caring for us. You're a mighty man of valor in my world. And I honor you today. In 19, let me figure out when it was. It's about uh, 1996. 1996. My dad got his high school diploma. And they did a front page story on him on the the Marlowe newspaper. Population 5,000 people. Daddy went to war when he was a junior in high school and never finished his high school diploma. He got his diploma when he was 71 years old. And when I called him, I cried, I cried, I cried. He said, son, I'm thinking about going to college now. What do you think about that? <laughs> I was glad to tell him, Dad, you're better than any professor I ever had in college. You're the best. Dads, I'm appealing to you today. We need the best dads. We need great dads. We need awesome dads. We need dads that will just step up and say, no, not my house. No, not this place. You can have the house down the street if you wanted any, but you're not getting this house. This house is sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, not my house. Not my house. Not mine, not mine, not mine. Would you stand up all over the house and let's clap our hands and praise the Lord and thank you. Come on, let's give a great hand for great fathers, great men, great people in our church. Come on, clap your hands all over the house. And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.